if you invest 10, the, the risk, the downside risk is actually very low. Whereas the average you can expect between 15, 18 or 20 something. You mentioned that, you know, when you invest into a stock, into the market, you're really dictated by the supply and demand of the market. But when you're investing in a development project, you actually take a raw piece of land, you you rezone it, you built on it, you've added construction, you've added brick and mortar, you've added steel. So yes. so you're actually adding value brick by brick. LP is used by um, hedge fund, private equity firm, the rest, because it's a flow-through entity. That means the the profit is not taxed at the company level. It flows through to each individual investor. So there is no double tax problem. You and I know that physicians and people in the healthcare industry love to invest in real estate. And so this is another episode about real estate investment and different types of real estate investment. Today, we're going to be talking about real estate development and how to invest in the type of the type of companies that actually does the development of a property. So we're going to have a deep dive discussion with Joshua on this topic. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and learn a little bit about this different type of real estate investing. financial health doc welcome to the financial literacy podcast for healthcare professionals where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo Okay, so welcome back, everybody, to the How Is My Financial Health Doc podcast, and I am your host, Vuketran. I'm really excited today to have with us another guest, and uh, you, you, I don't know if you hear the excitement in my voice. Every time I talk about real estate, uh, I my eyes just light up because it's one of those topics I love to talk about. And to be honest, I think most physicians, forget physicians, most people love to talk about real estate. And physicians are people, so I don't think they're they're any different from anyone else. And real estate is a very, very cool topic, especially if you live in Canada. And our guest today will tell us why that is. So I want to introduce to you Mr. Joshua Hu. So Joshua, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, we I am very excited. I'm very, very eager to learn more from from what you do and what type of real estate you do. So let me properly introduce Joshua. Joshua is the executive director, uh, East Asia uh, Private uh, Capital Group at Greybrook. Is it Greybrook Realty or Greybrook Development? Uh, it's Greybrook, uh, Greybrook Realty Partners. Greybrook Realty Partners. And um, we will 
dive into that because it's important why the name is is like that uh, because this is this is a different type of real estate investment and we'll drill into that in just a minute joshua tell me a little bit tell us the audience a little bit who you are what you do what is your day-to-day -day like and uh, what exactly that you do with uh, Greybrook? Uh, all right. So first, uh, let me introduce Greybrook. Greybrook is a real estate private equity firm. And uh, I'm an executive director. So my job is um, on the fundraising side and looking after my client, my investors. Um, I run a group of about uh, seven people. We're looking after uh, more than a thousand households. Uh, investor household who have who have invested into our deal. So Greybrook, uh, what do we do? We are a real estate private equity firm, as I mentioned before. Um, we partner with the large scale and best in class developer uh, in real estate development project, and we bring our investor to joint venture with uh, these developers, so that we can uh, participate in the development profit. Uh, at the same time, we move some of the risk to these developers because we don't want to hold on to some risk. And we can uh, dive into it later. Uh, but um, simply put, this is uh, what we do. You you use the word called private equity. Um, some of my audience may not understand what that means. So if you can clarify what private equity means, when is it are we buying stocks and bonds and, and real estate in the market? Or what is exactly private equity in, in relation to, obviously, your business? Uh, that is a very good question. So um, in terms of investments, there are um, several types of vehicle. One is um, like hedge fund. Hedge fund mostly trade in the um, mid to sh short term investment that you uh, investor can place their asset with the hedge fund manager and the manager for them. And private equity is another group. They are, they are all alternative investment uh, class. So private equity, traditionally, it, um, it, it, um, is a fund that invests in a company. And they usually buy the company off the listed uh, public market, listed company, and then they restructure it, rebuild it, and sell it later on to make profit. Um, but our company, we uh, specialize in real estate. We are also private equity firm, but rather than buying in company, uh, we invest in real estate project. And because real estate project take time, usually between anywhere between um, three to eight years, sometimes 10 years or more. So we are a private equity firm like the usual real uh, private equity, but we specialize in real estate only. So that, that's a difference. So um, it's a long-term investment. Our investor uh, make profit from the development um, project. Now you also used another word. You, saw, you talk about development project. For me as a lay person who don't understand this industry because I'm not a developer. So what's the difference between what your company does and a, a developer such as, for example, Tridel or Madame Homes or Great Golf, how are you different in these, what I typically call developers? We partner with developers. So when you talk about developer like uh, Tridel, like um, 
tribute, like some of these developers, they usually have capital from wealthy individuals or family or company in those projects. So the joint venture among themselves to to participate in this development profit. Our company, we come into play when we um, represent our investor to partner with this developer. We open a way that uh, in the past are not open to the regular investors. So our investor can participate in this deal. So now this developer, rather than partner with the their wealthy friends, family, they partner with us. We do project together. Uh, at the very beginning of our company, we we rely a lot on our developer because uh, they have more experience and capital. Um, we reached a milestone last year when we invested more than 100 projects. So now we actually has have more experience and we have more um, data. We have projects from um, different stages from buying the land and to some in the building stage and some exiting stage. So we have very up-to-date information on the market and we have very sophisticated model built by our colleagues because we have uh, quite a number of them. So now when developers come to partner with us, they actually rely on our exp- expertise because we we have a lot more information. For example, um, an inv- a developer might be using a bank for 20 years. They have very good relationship with this bank. The bank try to give developer the best interest rate they think at the time. But because we have so many projects, at the same time, maybe we have another developer um, just finalizing a loan that we f- we uh, figure out is better in interest and better con- um, conditions, we can tell this developer and say, okay, why don't you try another bank? So often we add value in, in this way. So let me try to summarize this for the audience. So I'm uh, you guys are working with uh, different developers and I've named a few of them. So your role coming in is we're going to partner with this developer. We're coming in with data. We're coming in with research. We're coming in with knowledge. And we're coming in with capital to to work with this developer. And the developer, his goal is to do the construction, you know, the the building of the of the place, the marketing of of the and the sales of the building. When you guys come in with the capital, some of the funds and some of the market data, am I am I getting it right? Yes, yes, um, that, that's um, that's very correct. Yes, and so if I'm uh, Vuketran and I'm investing in Greybrook into your company, I'm investing into a project, and so it could let's call it project on Queen and Dundas. Let's say that that's the project. Uh, and it's a it's a building. So I'm investing in your company. You guys are putting the resource and everything to work with the developer. And once the 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 project is completed, then that's I get my money back. And there's a certain yield and rate and 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 percentage that I get back, which is predetermined before I even invest with with you guys on this particular project. Am I correct? So there is a formula, we call it waterfall distribution. So each project will get a little bit different. But for most of the project, the, the formula is determined, predetermined. So if the project make more money, investor will have more money. 
if the investor, uh, if the project make less money, investor will have less money. Everybody will have less money. The formula is predetermined, but not the return. Some project has very high return, and some um poorer return. So number one thing we tell our investor is that to diversify, invest in more project. In in essence, this is how investor build their own portfolio, their own fund. So we have investor who invested thirty project. So their portfolio at very uh, stable. There are some very, very good returns. Some are poorer return, but overall, the return is very, uh, very good. Mm-hmm. So having said that, the um, in the development project, there's a few uh, risks that we don't take, that we, we do not want to take. Our invest, we don't want our investor to take. Uh, number one is what we call a cash a cash core risk. Let's say if, uh, if we, you and me, we are doing a project, uh, equity needed, let's say $2 million. And if um, we we need more cash, a million dollars, then both you and me need to come up with another 500, right? This is called cash call. Otherwise, uh, we need to deal with the share, we need to deal with other things. So mm-hmm. uh, this is cash call risk. We do not want to take that risk. So we push the risk to the developer. The developer has to come up with all the rest of the financial um, need. Mm-hmm. Next one. The second risk is, um, is called uh, um, guarantee risk. So in, in a project, in a typical project, let's say high-rise condo deal, bank uh, loan, construction loan, a bank usually funds 70% of the project cost, 70%. Another 15%, 10 to 15% um, is funded by the buyer's deposit. The developer or the investor equity usually only count for anywhere between five to 15%. So you can see, uh, these are usually the fund, the, 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 the capital that needed to buy the land and rezone and um, getting permit, so the front end equity. So you can see most of the capital is provided by the bank. So the bank usually take the land as security, but on top of that, they require the developer to uh, to guarantee the loan and um, often put in collateral. So the developer has to have their own asset uh, and give the bank uh, as a security usually 25 to 50%. So our investors do not have to do that. So we uh, we don't want this tool risk. So, so developer will take over this tool risk. I'm interested in a project. So you come to me, Joshua, you say, Vu, I've got a, I'm working on a project. It's going to be built on, like I said, Spadina and Dundas. Uh, we're building a building, et cetera. Here's a project. How do I, as an investor, uh, invest in in this project. Do I do I is it a fund that I'm putting into? Is it a a limited partnership? How does how do you you uh, when I say you I mean Greybrook or any company similar to yours? How do you include me as a small investor into this type of project? Uh, first of all, we are register uh, we are register exam market dealer, so we are uh, we governed by the. Um, Ontario Security Commission, as well as other provinces, uh, the Security Commission 
from other provinces. And personally, I am also registered in U.S. We securitize the project that allow our investor to invest in. So when an investor express interest to one of our projects, there are a few steps that we need to go through. One is called KYC, know your client. So we need to do those paperwork. Uh, and then there's a few um, uh, disclosure. Uh, they are offering memorandum we need to send to our investor. And then um, there is a subscription agreement. So we need to sign that, go through all that process. So how we structure the, the deal is that usually is a joint venture with developer. And this joint venture outside, we set up a limiter, a limited partnership. And our company, Greybrook, is GP. Our investors are LP, limited partners, including our employee. Like they say, if I invest, I'm also LP. But at the same time, uh, investors can also invest through the RSP, TFSA, RESP. So uh, for them to invest in this uh, deal, we set up a fund we call a mutual fund trust. So it's like a trust. So this trust will hold the LP unit. That way, investor can invest through RSP, TFSA. So if investor invests directly in LP, like under their personal name or under the corp, they invest directly in LP. Whereas if they invest through RSP, TFSA, RESP, Lira, they invest in a mutual fund trust. Yeah, I can, as an investor, invest in several ways. So what you're saying is I can invest in this project through my RSP account. And if I did that, it would go into your mutual fund trust. But I can also invest into this project, not through the registered account, but through a non-reg account, at which point I would invest not into the trust itself, but into the LP itself. And so money comes into uh, through two doors, I would say, a direct door through the LP or a separate door through the mutual fund trust that eventually gets into the same pool of money as the LP. And then the GP, you mentioned the GP, which is the general partners. So the general partner, the limited partner, the two pools of money come together with the money from the developer, with the money from the bank, and then off goes the project. Am I understanding it correctly? Uh, you, you're correct. You're, you're very correct. But usually uh, it depends on the project. The bank money may come later because the first equity is for usually is for land purchase. And then we might use the bank a line of credit for some of the self costs. Construction costs actually come a few years into the project when uh, we when we have sold uh, up to maybe 60, 70% of pre-construction. Um, then we start to borrow money from the uh, bank uh, for this uh, construction loan. Typically, the purchase of the land is made by the GP, the general partner? The, the purchase of land is is purchased by both parties. Ah, got it. The developer and uh, the LP, but um, sometimes the land come to us. Sometimes they uh they go to the, the land goes to the developer like uh, i mean the sourcing of the land we we partner to date to over with over 20 developers but uh there are a few like say five six seven yeah that we have partner in many deals this developer 
they see deals all the time and we see deals all the time too. So we actually have a lot of deals coming to us. We choose the one that um that look better, more profitable, less risk, and then we go through our due diligence process. If the land go come to us first, we will choose which developer to partner with. If the land came from the developer, then obviously that is the developer that we partner with. So typically, um, private equity firms like Greybrook and other real estate private equity firms, what type of development are we talking about? What type of real estate is it mainly? Real uh, sorry, is it mainly residential? Is it commercial? Or it's all sorts. Uh, we we only do residential development. Um, some of that re residential development has some commercial portion, but very small portion. So we, we do high rise, low rise. We do land development. Most of our deal are close to uh, GTA. We also invested in uh, US too. In US, we have um, apartment development deal. So multifamily apartment, income producing property. And we also have this value add project. So uh, like uh, we, we, we will purchase a portfolio of a uh, multifamily unit. We will renovate it and we will boost the NOI, net operating income, and then we sell it. So we do that too. That sounds really wonderful. So what that means is me as an investor, you know, instead of me going out and buy a house and renovate it, I could do the investing through you guys. And it sounds like your company plays in different types of real estate um, investment. So you do high rise, you do mid rise, low rise, you do multifamily. So I, as an investor, can choose different types of investment deals that I want to participate in. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. That is correct. We usually have about anywhere from four to six sometimes eight deals a year. We don't know how many deals we can do in a year. So they come to us. We only do the deal that pass our due diligence process. So mm -hmm. sometimes they're more, sometimes they're less. Investors will need to take a few years to uh, to build their portfolio. So let's uh, come back a little bit because you, you we use a few words that may be foreign to us. The, the word general partner and the word limited partnership. Can you maybe just simplify for us the difference between a general partner and the difference between a limited partner? Obviously, me coming in as an investor, I'm coming in the limited partner portion of the deal, and the general partner is Greybrook and other people. So what's the difference and who are these people? Before that, I want to explain why most of the investment vehicle using LP structure. So LP is used by um, hedge fund, private equity firm, the rest, because it's a flow-through entity. That means the profit is not taxed at the company level. It flows through to each individual investor. So there is no double tax problem. So let's say if you invest in the um, in a listed company, a uh, listed company has to pay tax first, then listed company distribute dividends, then investor has to tax be taxed again. So this is called double taxation. Uh, whereas, LP is a flow through entity. So when the development project make money, it flows through directly to LP. So at the entity level, LP entity level, isn't there's no tax. So in, in an LP, limited partnership, there are GP, general partner, and limited partner. So limited partner, 
at the investor who whose liability is limited to the um in, to, to to the capital they invested in. Let's say this LP borrow invested ten million dollars, but borrow a hundred million dollars. GP will take the liability of GP's unlimited liability. Okay, but the investor only responsible for the capital they put in. So this is this this structure is protecting the investor, so, and that's why it uh, is used very um, commonly in the um, in in the alternative investment world. The limited really stands for limited liability. So, uh, I as an investor, I decide to put in this project. I want to invest in this project, and I put in my ten dollars as an example, and so. If the project makes money, my $10 may become 12, may become 15. That's great. But if the project really goes south and everything, we lost everything, and everything goes up in flame, I only lost $10, not more. Correct. But that is correct. But but the general partner, while well, they may lose more because now they owe the bank money, there's different things, there's different potential liability issues, lawsuits, et cetera, et cetera. So the general partner, as you mentioned earlier, has unlimited liability because they are fully on the hook. Whereas the limited partner is only, the liability is only what you have put in. So if I put in $10, I can obviously make money, but if I lose money, I only lose 10 and not more. There's no one else chasing after my house, <laughs> chasing after my car. That is correct. That, that is correct. So usually, um, the GP will use company structure to 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 be the GP, because company is a limited liability liability company to limit their liability. But in a structure, GP's uh, liability is unlimited. So typically, the GP are the people bringing forth the project. So, uh, in in a project A, limited partnerships are the different investors. And then the GPs would be, let's say, Greybrook uh, and the developer together. These two corporations would be the GP. Am I correct? Uh, in our deal, um, only Greybrook is GP usually. Oh, okay. So we uh, we joint venture with the developer. So developer do not belong to this partnership. Uh, do not belong to this LP. Ah, got it. So in in your deals. The general partner is Greybrook, and the limited partners are all the other investors participating in this project. Correct, including uh, our own employee, and yeah. sometimes including the developer's employee. Right, because also they can join. They can join the project also as investors inside this LP. Correct. Got it. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that. So you mentioned that this is a flow through structure meaning that the the money that comes in the profit that comes in is flow through and then it goes to the investor and then so the investor is now responsible for paying the taxes and only one because there's no double taxation so when that happens when we invest in a limited partnership type of investment um especially in real estate is is this considered passive income? Is this considered active income? How how is it defined? Help me with that. This is considered as active income for most of our pro project. A development project, especially in Canada, 
uh, let's say we buy a piece of land, we build condo and we sell condo, those are active business. So the income is uh, considered as active uh, income, active business income. So a lot of our investors, uh, if, if they are running a company, they can use the company retained earning to invest in our deal. I put in $10 uh, and I'm invested in this project A. Five years later, I've got a return. It's now $15. So I made a, a, that extra $5. So that extra $5 within this deal, it's considered active income. Yes, if the deal is a development deal, that's, that, that means buy a piece of land, build new building and uh, exit. But if it's a value add deal, then it, it will be considered passive income. Oh, okay. Active value value uh, added deal means we buy existing building, yes. we renovate it, collect rent and sell it. So those will be passive. I guess I have to read the offering of memorandum carefully <laughs> to understand yes. to understand that when I have my $5 back, how is that $5 being treated? And so when when I get that money back from Greybrook, is there a tax slip, a T4, a T5, a T3, or whatever T's there is for me to, to submit to CRA to say, this is the type of income I have made from this deal? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, for one, um, I would say 90%, 95% of our income of our project are active business income. So most of them. And we will send our LP investor, LP partner, T5013 every year. T5013. Um, in that on that form, there will be um all the numbers that they need to file tax return. Um, uh, for the first few years, usually it's it's negative because we can count some of the uh, spending as expense. So they can flow through to the investors and they can deduct the income from the other places. But for the investor who invests through RRSP, TFSA, there will be no tax because there is no um, no need to file tax. Thank you very much for explaining that. Uh, I was always wondering how, how things were being um, submitted to CRA. And so you mentioned these value-add deals where you buy, you renovate, you rent out, and then you sell afterwards. And I know that some of us have most likely watch some YouTube and try to understand the real estate and say, I could do the same. I could buy an old house down the street. I'll buy it. I'll renovate it. I'll refinance it. And then I'll rent it. And I'll do the same. What we call a burr. How is, how is your project different from what I'm going to do in a burr? Obviously, if I'm doing in a burr, I'm doing in one, one house at a time. Um, the way you guys do it, you're doing multi, multi units at a time. Uh, am I correct? That is correct. That's, that's correct. So I would say um, in principle, they are quite similar, quite similar. But if, uh, let's say, you do it yourself, you take all the risk. Um, and when you do a burr, uh, if, you, if you do it properly, um, you need to let the bank know, okay, I'm going to tear the, the house down. And um, and when you build it, um, you, are, you have uh, mortgage risk, interest risk like now interest rate is very high. So I guess you want to refinance, but when you build it, the your value may not up to um, where you expect, then you might lose money, right? Otherwise you have to sell it. So uh, I would say one big thing is the risk. In our investment, we uh, our, our LP has limited risk. 
um, they don't need to worry about those problems. And the second is that the um, our company uh, and, and the developer, we're working for our investor. So someone is doing on behalf of, obviously, the our company and developer, they, they make the money from doing this. One of the biggest difference is that the, uh, the value add project that we do, they usually um, are very big, a portfolio of a few hundreds to thousands of units. And the, for, for them to, for us, let's say, to add value, uh, what we do is we can renovate, let's say, the lobby. Uh, we can change some of the uh, system, let's say, make it more efficient, like the power, less hungry, like more green. A lot of the uh, the rental in those apartments, they, they are paying below market rent because of the rent control. If, if, uh, if we're talking about the Ontario or the uh, Quebec. So whenever one leave, we can renovate it. And then when the next one come, the rent is going to jump by quite a bit. So over time, we tune over the uh, the rental and the NOI will go up quite a lot. Like, like, I would say the re renovation on those uh, units will cost less per unit compared to if we do it uh, ourselves. When you're doing hundreds and thousands of units at a time within a building, you definitely get economies of scale. That's your that's your first first um, profit there, right? How is this also different from a REIT, for example? How is your development projects different from? Uh, me putting money into a fund, which is a REIT. How how is that different? Please please help me understand that. REIT, uh, real estate investment trust. They make money from two ends. Usually from rent, right? The 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 business is collecting rent, and the second is they make money from capital gain. When we do development, what we make is development margin, whereas a REIT, they make money mainly from um the rent. And they need to distribute the rent next in 90, 95% of the rent. And the rest are capital gain. When when there is not enough capital gain, the um the return on rate is is going to drop, which makes sense because there the the risk there the you already finished the building. So there's not much risk to hold there. And the only risk is to um collect rent, basically. So there is you uh, an investor cannot really ex expect a very high return from REIT. But in the past, let's say 10 years, there's a lot of return, a very good return. Development, on the other hand, we make development margin. It is it is a very simple business. We know how much money, how, how much, uh, let's say, uh, what surprise a condo can get today. We know what's the construction cost. And we just need to factor in the land price. And the other cost, we know if we do this project, how much money we're going to get to make the margin. And this margin didn't change much in this year. There are a lot of it, not a lot, because developer has to make money, has to make margin. When the margin dropped to a certain number, they, it doesn't make sense. The bank is not going to lend money. We cannot build. Uh, this margin usually, let's say high rise, is anywhere between 15 to 20 something percent on cost. So let's say if today's house, the, if if house price today is 30,000 one house, for a developer to build that house, 
they want at least 20% margin. Next us 20% margin. If this house today is 300,000, the developer still want about 20%. Now, if the, the house is $3 million, the developer still want to have 20%. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to build them. Whereas, as an investor in real estate or stock or anything, when the price is low, the risk is low, 30,000, right? Go to next 300,000. But when 300,000 go to $3 million, there's a huge jump. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say a house is already $3 million. Do you want to buy it or not? Mm -hmm. the, the risk is getting higher and higher. higher. And higher. Whereas for developer, is the same. Because I need to sell this money. Let's say I need to sell it for $3.6 If my cost is $3 million, if someone buy it, then we build it. So we make development margin. It's, it's a margin business. right? And when the price is not there, developer, cannot build like at today if we look at today's situation um interest rate is at like six like five six percent um res residential mortgage is at five six percent so the resale market drop because um it's harder to get mortgage but the pre-construction unit does not drop a lot it cannot really drop much and most developers do not drop because if it drops, the margin is squeezed, then the bank is not going to lend the money. So the project will be canceled. So you're going to see more canceled projects because they cannot build. And when they cannot build, what happened is that the, the supply in the market uh, reduced by quite a bit, die off. Whereas, you know, in, in city like uh, Toronto, the demand is getting up. Uh, we have a lot of um, new population here in this um, in this country, in this city. So the demand going up, supply dropping, you know, in about two years' time, one, two, three years, some, something got a gift. So either the price go up, the cost come down. As a developer, we still need to make the margin. If we control our cost, when the price go up, our margin get bigger. But it cannot be lower than certain percentage. Because if it lower than certain percentage, we can't build, and there will be no supply on the market. Um, the project get delayed, and we we may make it next year. So I think you said something that is really important that I never never realized, and and thank you for saying it because it never occurred to me that if if the developer does not make that margin, the bank will not lend money. Because the yes. bank does not want to take that risk, I've never, I've never conceptualized that. But thank you for for saying it, and it actually makes sense. If the bank doesn't lend the money, the developer doesn't build. There's less houses to be built. There's less supply. Therefore, the prices in the market will go up, and then at which point, the developer will start building because there's the margin is there, Correct. and and the bank will will start lending again. So this. absolutely, absolutely makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. No problem. We actually see this happen a few times. Uh, the first time in 08, 09, because when 07 crashed, 09, 010, then it, it bounced back very quickly. We have a project. We shut down the sales office because it's not selling. And when we reopen it, in two months, we, we sell a year worth of product, a thousand six hundred condo in, in a very short time. Um, we see another time at, uh, in 2020, the beginning of the 2020, just before pandemic hit, uh, because of the B20, the market drop, resale market drop, 
in 2018, 2018, 2019, the low rise is, um, the resale is dropping, the the uh, pre-construction is not selling, but then 2020, it bounced back. So now today, the market come down again. Um, you know what? The history bound to repeat itself. So we're going to expect either the price go up or the cost drop down. Absolutely makes sense. The The law of supply and demand still makes sense. Even with COVID, still makes sense. So give me an idea. You, you mentioned it earlier. If I were to invest in a REIT, we're generally looking at, you know, returns of maybe 7 to 9% because it's based on rental income. Right. Um, and so an investment into a company like yours where it's development, you're, you were talking about 15 to 20 percent. Am I right? Um, yes. Well, the unit we use is usually um, average annualized return. Yeah. So like say a dollar in uh, two dollars out in five years, that 20 uh, percent annualized. Um, how I tell my investors are um, set expectation at around 15 to 18% uh, annualized return, average annualized return, and then build a portfolio around it. So because if you invest in one deal, um, sometimes it's very high, 50% um, average return, sometimes is single digit, but you it depends on the time of the market. But usually if you invest one is 15 to 18. If you invest 10, the, the risk, the downside risk is actually very low. Whereas the average you can expect between 15, 18 or 20 something. So when you look at that type of percentage annualized return versus what you get on the market is is definitely almost double of what you get investing in S&P 500, bonds, et cetera, et cetera. So help me understand why such a huge difference. Yeah, there's a few reasons. I would say, first of all, um, the most of the investment on the market, like say stock, uh, you make money by the market. Basically, you buy stock to a dollar tomorrow, become a one point five dollars because um someone buy it. So the demand supply of the stock itself push up the price. Whereas we, as a developer, uh, as a um like say in, investing in development project, we make money from doing the the work. Actually, doing the work itself, we. We we sell pre-construction unit and then we build them. It's like we make wages. More importantly, there's another concept we call illiquidity. Private equity product it get locked down seven ten years usually. L one it depends on the project. Sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, depending on the project. So this illiquidity demand higher return. Uh, let's say stock. You can sell the stock tomorrow and um you can you can get your money back right. So this, we call it liquidity premium. Something can be uh, sold quickly and turn into li uh, liquid cash, usually has lower return because the liquidity is very good. People pay liquidity premium so that they can use it when they need it. Whereas our investment, um, once investor invests in seven years, you can't do much. So this is illiquid. Is illiquid. It can be good thing against... Um, some some investor sell at the wrong time, buy at the wrong time. You mentioned that you know when you invest into a stock into the market, you're really dictated by the supply and demand of the market. 
But when you're investing in a development project, you actually take a raw piece of land, you you rezone it, you built on it, you've added construction, you've added brick and mortar, you've added steel. It's actually, like you say, building a widget. So yes. so you're actually adding value brick by brick. At that yes. point, it's no longer a supply and demand issue. It's a quality of work. It's, it's the value that you've added to the piece of land, which I think yes. in my mind adds, adds the value, which why you can command a better return. Because it's no that longer is. just a question of being dictated by the craziness of the market. Uh, that's that's correct. Uh, there is a there is a, a advantage in in that we actually sell before we build, so we don't we, we don't really need to spec it. We we're not spec speculative building. It's just like in all pre construction unit, we sell before we build it. There is already buyers before we actually spend big money on it. So that's a very good uh, risk reward strategy. It's like uh, you want me to do something for you, great. Pay me the money. Uh, we agree a price. Then I start working. So developer, uh, basically, uh, uh, doing business. So it, it can be like as you said, widget. Um, but you, someone already bought it. Then we start building it. Right, it's a good uh, feature. Right. So for those of us who run businesses, it's essentially a purchase order. Correct. Right. So I'm gonna pay for for something. That you're gonna that you're gonna deliver later, but I've already paid for it, and so uh, for the developer, there's much less risk that way. Correct. Um, so now let's let's end this by talking a little bit about some of the risk because you know we've talked about a lot of good things and you've explained a lot of concepts to us already, and I'm not particularly talking about Greybrook here and your company, but other companies that do real estate development such as your such as yours if i was an investor what type of risk should i be looking at and what type of risk should i be assessing and not specifically to your company but just this type of investment in in general Okay. Um, number one risk is the, uh, the execution risk. If, uh, let's say, if the audience want to partner with someone, someone's experience is very important. Someone's balance sheet is very important. Someone who does not need money are the one who actually you want to partner with. Someone short of money, not the person. So, so that's one. The second one is the leverage. Leverage. Um, most of the real estate develop. A developer fail when they take on too much debt. That means the leverage it need to make sense. Um, there is there need to be a risk reward um balance. If someone borrow too much money, something happen, the market downturn, they can't stand, they will fail. Whereas if someone if some developer has a lot of a uh, very strong balance sheet, a lot of cash, then even if the market fail for ten years, um, it's fine. Leverage. It's very, it's pretty much up there. And uh, I would say doing development in in Canada, um, in Vancouver, I heard too, time is one thing. So the, the city approving the permits these days are getting longer. So this is one of, the, one of the risks. So what happened is, let's say, if you expect to make 100% in five years, uh, you get delayed to six years, then 
your 100% divided by six, the annualized return is coming down. Um, one other risk, which I think is getting subsided, so it's not, um, I think is coming down, is the contraction cost increase, the risk of contraction cost. Um, it, it's dropping, actually we see, um, because we have so many projects on the go at the same time. So, and, and we give our investor uh, two unit holder report a year. So we see them real time. The way to deal with contraction rates usually are the, um, you once you sell the unit, you build it as soon as uh, you can. So maybe six months time or three months so that you're in the same period. In about three, four years, like three years from from uh, before, like from three, like this three years, we see a lot of uh, cost increase and we see a lot of the canceled project on the market. A lot of them is because they sold the unit, but the cost increased too much. So that's one risk. But um, on the developer side, there is uh, the reverse. If you haven't built them, you can sell the land and demand higher return. You don't even need to build it. So th this contraction uh, cost risk is another risk. Interest rate risk is 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 real, um, especially today. In a few years ago, like let's say two years ago, the the rate is so low. As a developer, when we look at the uh, development project, interest rate is a cost. It go down to cost, just like your brick and mortar, your windows and all that is a cost. It will go up, but it's not like um, it's not like a REIT. So you read a REIT. When interest rate go up, the rent might not be uh, the rent may not be enough to cover the interest rate. So it is more like a business for them. But for us, uh, in the development project, like I said today, uh, when I actually this two years when we do our performa, we we model interest rate. Uh, we have a model, and if we go up certain way, we we have our own assumptions. So we will put in a higher assumption into our um, performa and this is just a cost to us yeah it, it, it just is one of the costs we also do something about it the closing risk mm. closing risk we we have a lot of projects on the go some close a lot of projects um when it's so 2017 18 19 even today they are in the money like say we sold like um 500,000 a condo today market price is 600 and even if someone cannot close due to mortgage problem no problem we take it back we sell it at 600 right so that's not not a problem the problem arises when we sell at the peak of the market like say 20 uh, 21 2022 we sell like say a house for 1.3 million dollars and now it become 1.1 but we haven't started building the house because it's closing in two years one year those yeah. are the risk. What we do is that we call them one by one and find out whether there is intention to close. We uh, we actually proactively work with our buyers on a case by case basis to minimize those risks. So this is a risk now, but because we um we are we staying ahead, and maybe in two years uh, market go back up, they have no problem. But even even today. If let's say we know there's a problem, maybe we can choose not to build the house or maybe we can choose to delay building the house uh, depending on individual buyers. Got it. So we you'll, you'll, sure. work, you'll work with your buyers to, um, to make sure that there's a win-win for everyone. 
Correct. That only applied today. I mean, it was like two years ago, nobody would do that. But today we see there's a, a risk there. So we yeah. do something about those risks. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, Joshua, this was very, very comprehensive. You know what? I've learned so much today. I think I can do your job. I don't think so. I don't right. think so. <laughs> I don't think so. There's still yeah, there's still harder. so much to learn. <laughs> but but you've given us so much today. A lot of a lot of good information, um, and a, a little bit of the the back of the scenes, the back of the curtain of this business. Um, and my goal really is to make sure that my audience understands there's many many ways to build uh, to play in real estate. There's many, many ways to invest in real estate. And the one that your business is in is definitely very, very attractive. And I'm I'm also happy to see that, you know, successful companies like yours are mitigating all the risk possible. Obviously, you can't mitigate all risk, but that you attempt to mitigate risk, which is very good for the investor. So I'm very, very happy to to hear this. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so any, if any of the audience like to know more, I mean, feel free to reach out to us. I would say uh, our best type of client, um, those who do not like to uh, speculate on the market, stock market, who does not want to uh, look after a rental property and the tenant and et cetera. So our investment is pretty hands-free. Hands that's free. good. That's yes. good because many physicians have their hands tied up already. So yes. they definitely need to have some sort of hands-free investment. And right. and this sounds like a very, very good option. Thank you very Thank much you. again, Joshua. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast. I've had a really fun time uh, chatting with uh, Joshua. And it sounds like this type of real estate investment is probably easier than investing in pre-con, but they have very much similarities. For the very busy physician and practitioner, this is one of those options that one can really entertain if uh, we really wanted to jump into real estate investment as a way to diversify our uh, investment portfolio. Again, thank you very much for listening this far. I hope you have really enjoyed this podcast. And if you have, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your dogs, your cats, and don't forget your pet turtle. If you have any comments to leave for me or any feedback, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. And I will see you guys next time. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.